I just pray that you would have your way with us, that we would surrender ourselves to you. In your name we pray. We all sit as one church. Amen. Amen. And amen. again. Uh, if you missed it the first time, my name is Chris and I'm the lead pastor here. Just happy to be with you on this Sunday morning. Uh, open your uh, Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. That's going to be our primary place today. And by the way, just as a matter of stuff, uh, if you don't have a paper Bible, get one. Um, there is, I would love everybody here to be flipping through those pages when we read. I know you can do it digitally. I know we live in the 21st century. I get it. I get it. But there's just something about being able to write and underline and highlight and refer back to that. And then in like 10 years, you'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that really cool sermon Pastor Chris gave. And I wrote this down right here in my Bible. If you need one, there's a couple over there on the, on the table. We'll make more. Don't worry about that. Um, now let me get started. Interesting fact about me, some of you might know this, uh, and some of you may be this way as well. Uh, I like to ask questions. I like to ask a lot of questions, especially during the course of conversation. And some of that may be because of the, the job, my, my day job, right? I'm a software developer, a software engineer. So a lot of times I'm out at client sites, you know, trying to determine how to best suit their needs with software and what I need to write. So I'm always asking a lot of questions, probing, trying to get stuff out of them. And I think um, from a young kid, I've been inquisitive, but I think that also has kind of shaped my life. I ask a lot of questions like, what does that mean? How does that work? How will we get there from here? How do we do that? How do we make that happen? I ask these questions all the time. And questions are great, aren't they? Anybody like questions? I like questions. If you're a parent, you're probably by this point saying, I don't like questions because my child asks them of me 15 million times a day. That's a different story. But questions are a great way for us to get and relay information. Questions are a great way to exchange ideas. Questions are a great way to get decisions made. I mean, you can't really get decisions made without asking some questions. But questions also have some side effects. Questions are a good way to get into arguments, right? There are certain questions that are bound to get into an argument, right? Like men, when you come home from work and you come through the door and the first question you ask is, why haven't you made dinner yet? Don't ask that question. You do not want to ask that question. Or why is the dishwasher still full from last night? Don't want to ask that question. Some questions you want to be careful of the answer to, like does this dress make me look fat? You don't want to answer that question. You don't. Have to be careful. Have to be careful because questions may not always come out the way you want. We may not always like the answer. That's kind of the funny thing about questions. Some questions you just don't want an answer to. Like if you've been around here while we've been building out stuff, You've heard me ask this question many times. Am I an idiot? I do not want an answer to that question. If I ask myself, am I stupid, I'm already answering in my own. The other, the other thing you've got to be careful of is men or, or women, I don't know, whoever. You ask your, your spouse, hey, is it all right if I go out and hang out with my friends tonight? 
And the answer is, it's fine. Not really what you want to hear. So some questions never get an answer, right? What do you want for dinner tonight? That thing could go on for three hours. I don't know. What do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you want for dinner? I don't know. Anybody there? (laughs) Anybody ever had a conversation for over a half an hour on what you're going to eat for dinner? I mean, come on. Everybody should be raising their hand in this place. That's true. Some questions we already know the answer to. I used to do this with my kids when they were young. I would ask them questions that I already knew the answer to just to see if they were telling me the truth. Have you done your homework? Yes. No, you didn't. Did you pick up that rock and throw it at the neighbor's house? No. Yes, you did. Did you go down the street when I told you not to? Uh Uh-uh. Yes, you did. Some questions we don't want to know the answer to. Some questions we already know the answer to. And some questions never get answered. Jesus asked a lot of questions. In fact, he asked over 300 questions in the space of the four Gospels. Do you know that? That's pretty cool. And the number I got was actually 307, but that's kind of like a plus or minus one or two. But here's the thing about Jesus and his questions. Not once did Jesus ever ask a question that he needed to know the answer to. And what I mean by that is Jesus wasn't asking us questions because he didn't know. Jesus asked us questions for a different reason. The reason he asked us questions is not so that we can fill him in on what's going on. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. We're in a new series called Questions. And we're going to look at the questions that Jesus asked of his disciples, the questions Jesus asked of his followers, and the questions Jesus asked of the crowd. And by extension, because we have the privilege of being able to see what Jesus said in his book, he's asking those same questions of us. And I can assure you, Jesus' questions were not rhetorical. He didn't ask a question and not expect an answer. They were also not complicated. Jesus never asked really hard math questions like, what is the circumference of a circle divided by pi times squared and does, you know, hypotenuse of the, I don't know math. I'm just making stuff up here. I'm just spitballing. (laughs) Yes, thank you. I am. I am. He didn't ask complicated questions. He also didn't ask silly questions. The questions Jesus asked were life-changing. He asks these questions so that we can take a look inside of us and what's going on and how we feel. And if we answer those questions honestly, it can change our lives. So that's where we are today. Let me pray for us. God, there are answers to the questions that Jesus asked that can make the difference in our lives, our walk with Jesus, our closeness with Jesus, our ability to allow the Holy Spirit to do its work in us, our, our reliance on God, our reliance on Jesus, God. And, and, and as we just kind of dig into these questions, Jesus didn't ask questions for no reason. We know, Jesus, that you did not ever say anything that was not necessary. Help us to be honest and open and examine deep into who we are to find the answers that can change our lives. So God, use me. Use me in any way you see fit. Make these words be yours and make everything that comes from this place right here be of you. We ask that you continue to meet with us today and most importantly that anybody who's here today 
leaves transformed, changed, different than when they came in. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and together as a church, we'll say amen. Matthew chapter 16. Go ahead and turn there. Let me set this up for us. Um, Matthew chapter 16, the, the, where we're going to study, comes after... Uh, a couple of important things in Jesus' ministry. Uh, it comes after he had fed the 4,000. Now, I know what you're thinking. There's a couple of times in the Gospels where Jesus feeds thousands of people. One of them we know is Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's actually two separate accounts of Jesus feeding the 4,000 in two separate Gospels. One of them he says he uses four loaves. One of them says he uses seven loaves. None of that really matters. The point of Jesus feeding the thousands of people is that Jesus took a little bit of stuff fed a multitude of people, and had some left over. And that's a question for another week. But he leaves that place, crosses over the Sea of Galilee, and gets into a conversation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we know from Jesus and our history in the Bible that every time Jesus starts talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, something good's going to happen. And so he's talking to these dudes. The Pharisees were the really religious, pious, holier-than-thou people, and the Sadducees were the people who kind of kept the law. Um, and, and they said to Jesus, show us a sign. If you are the Messiah you claim to be, show us a sign. And Jesus looks at him, and basically Jesus says, uh, you wouldn't know your nose if you saw it in a mirror. I've been showing you signs, and yet you still don't believe. And then they leave that conversation, and they head to Caesarea Philippi, Jesus and his guys. And, and during that kind of place, Jesus strikes up a conversation, starts asking some questions. You ever, you ever been in a situation that just starts making you ask questions? Sometimes it causes you to challenge a belief you already have. Sometimes you're just like, we were in the mall one day, and we saw this person dressed in a way that I can't even imagine people would dress at the Mummer's Day Parade in Philadelphia, walking through the mall. And we just had to turn to each other and be like, what in the world was that? Some questions just make, some, some situations just make you stop and ask a question. And, and maybe, maybe that's why Jesus started asking his guys some questions here. He had just had this conversation with the Pharisees who didn't believe he was who he said he was. And maybe he started thinking, well, how do my guys feel about me? What, what do they really think? I mean, they've been with me for quite a while. So Jesus kind of sees this, this walk towards Caesarea Philippi as a teaching moment. He's kind of maybe, this is just my brain work, and maybe he's thinking, you know, if the people out there think a certain way, maybe my guys think a certain way too, and maybe I need to kind of get to the bottom of this. And this is where we open up in Matthew chapter 16, turn to verse 13, and it says this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, before we go any further, I want to just make a little confession here, uh, because this is not the point of our teaching today. But when Jesus says, 
you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. For years, I had this wrong. For years, I believed that what Jesus was saying was that you, Peter, are the rock on which I will build my church. Because if you go back through church history, especially in the Catholic Church, the Catholics believe that Peter was the first pope. He's the one who built the church. He's the father of the church. And so that's the way I was raised, and I just kind of thought that way, but that is not correct. What Jesus is saying is you are Peter, and on the rock of your confession, I will build my church. On the rock of what you believe. I will build my church. So I just wanted to kind of clarify that. But, but Jesus, Jesus asked this question. And, and the first question, in fact, who do people say I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And, and, and have, you ever, have you ever thought you understood a question, but you really didn't? Like, I've been asked questions, and sometimes my ADHD brain just hears it one way, and they're asking something else, and I go off on this long answer that's not even to the right question. That's kind of what happens here with Jesus. He asked the first of two questions. The first question, he's kind of testing the water, sort of, right? Because Jesus asked this question specifically, who do people say the Son of Man is? Sounds pretty simple. Sounds pretty, you know, benign. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And we don't think much of it. But in the day, the phrasing of that question would have had a much different meaning because they would have known exactly what it was. Son of Man, when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, he wasn't just giving himself a cool title. It wasn't like calling himself dude or bruh or, you know, professor or anything like that. That actually had meaning. And to find that meaning, we have to go all the way back in the Old Testament to Daniel chapter 7. So if you want to turn there, if not, it'll be up on the screen. It's, it's way back there. You can thumb through. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, says this. Now, Daniel is having, uh, Daniel's a prophet. Daniel is having visions in his dreams, and he's seeing a whole bunch of stuff. And during the course of one of Daniel's dreams, he, he writes this. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. We have two characters here in Daniel's vision. The one like the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is, anybody know? God, right? And the Son of Man is approaching the Ancient of Days. This is referring to Jesus. And it says, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never, ever be destroyed. Daniel's vision is a vision of the Messiah, a vision of the one who will come and save the world from their sin and reunite us back to God the Father through his sacrifice, the one who is given all glory, the one who is given all authority, the one who is given all power, and the one whose kingdom will never, ever have an end. So when Jesus asks, Who do people say the Son of Man is? What he's really asking is, who do people say I, comma, the Messiah, comma, am? They would have known this, that he was calling himself the Messiah. But the people didn't get it. The people did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. We can tell by their answers, right? 
The guys say, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're Jeremiah. All of these were thought to have come as precursors to the Messiah. So the people in general are kind of thinking that Jesus is just another precursor to the Messiah. They didn't get it. Jesus refers to himself as the Messiah, and they still don't get it. It'd be like me saying, hi, I'm Pastor Chris, lead pastor of Hope Springs Church. Who do you say I am? And you say the president of the United States. Right? You gave me the wrong answer. He's telling them in the question who he is, and they still get it wrong. But really what he's doing is he's kind of priming the pump for his guys. He's kind of priming the pump to ask the question he really wants to ask. Because he really wanted to know what they thought. He wanted to know, did they think like the Pharisees who, who were looking for signs still, were looking for more proof that I'm the Messiah? Do they think like the people around me who maybe just think I'm a precursor? To the Messiah? Because the first question they didn't really have to think about. It didn't cost them anything. But the second question, that's the one that matters. Because that's the one that requires us to make a decision. That's the one that Jesus kind of says, look, it's this question right here. Who do you say I am? That requires you to make a decision, not just head knowledge but a heart decision. When I was in sales, one of the te techniques we learned is something called a tie-down question. Anybody who's ever been in sales knows what a tie-down question is. A tie-down question, and I sold pianos in Oregon, so it was like the perfect job for me. Um, a tie-down question is basically any question that you ask your prospective buyer that they can answer yes to without question. Right. So I would get up on a piano and I would play this really cool chord progression that was all harmony, rich harmonies and cool sounding. And I would stop and I would look at them and say, that sounds nice, doesn't it? And they would say, yes. Right. That's a tie down question. Or I'd get, a, you know, an elderly couple up there and I would be playing on one of those organs where you can have one finger over here and one finger over here. You've seen those in the shopping malls. Anybody ever seen those? That was me. I did that for a while. And you would do that and you'd smile at them. And then you'd stop and say, that looks easy, doesn't it? And they'd be like, yes. And you have to nod your head, right, on a tie-down question. You have to nod your head because if you're nodding your head, the people that's buying from you are going to be nodding their head too. So you keep asking tie-down question after tie-down question after tie-down question because what you're doing is you're leading them to that one final question, which is, will you sign here on the dotted line? Okay. So this is just free, by the way. The next time you're out buying a car or a washing machine or a refrigerator, Watch what the salesman's doing to you. Play with him. When he starts asking tie-down questions like, isn't this great? It's got an ice maker in the door. He'll be like, nah, I don't think about me. <laughs> See what happens. He'll be like panicking. He'll be, giving you, he'll be giving the refrigerator away to you. That's just free. That's just Pastor Chris' advice. But Jesus is doing the same thing. Jesus is asking questions that leads us to a place because Jesus asks us questions to lead us to make a decision. He's not doing it for his own good. He's not doing it to hear his own voice. He's not doing it because he doesn't have anything better to do. He is asking us questions that lead us to make a decision. And notice I said leading. Because he's not forcing us to make a decision. He could. Right? I hear this question all the time. Why doesn't God just snap his fingers and make everybody love him and make everybody go to heaven and make everybody free of sin? Why doesn't God just do that? Because he wants us to make the choice. He's not giving us the answers. He's not forcing us to do it. 
He wants us to make a choice. Every question Jesus asks leaves us with a choice. Do we stay where we are or do we draw closer to him? Do we keep living for the world or do we live for Jesus? Do we not worry about all the things in our life that might not be in accordance with God's word? Or do we ask Jesus, show me what I need to get rid of so that I can be more like your image? Every question he asks leaves us with a choice. He could tell us what we should think. But what he does is he allows us to choose. And that's exactly what he does when he asks the question, who do you say I am? He asked all of his guys that question, by the way. Peter's the one, because Peter's like a little bullhead and like, you know, Peter's the guy who's always large and in charge. He's the one that steps up. He answers the question, right? He answers the question. But the question was for all of his guys. And by extension, because we get to read God's word, it's also a question for us. Who do you say I am? Kind of be like Jesus being here today. If he was standing in front of us, he might be like, well, I mean, you've read my word. You know, I preserved it for thousands of years so that you could open it up and read it. You've read about the miracles. You've read about me feeding 5,000. You've read about me raising a dead man from the grave. You've read about me turning water into wine. You've seen God in days past part the Red Sea so that his people could get through. You've seen the proof. You know what the world thinks. But what about you? What have you decided? And that's a question that goes much deeper than any of us think it does. Because the real question is, who do you believe in here that I am? And who have you decided that I'm going to be in your life? Now, the world might say, well, that Jesus was a good guy, just a good moral teacher. You know, he came around, he gave us some good stuff. He spouted some good words, that love, that peace, I can get with that. Grace, I can get with that. Some people might think that he was a religious zealot. You know, we don't need none of that stuff. I don't need that God stuff. We don't need that religion stuff. You just leave Jesus over there. Some people think he was off his rocker. I mean, literally, there are a whole school of people who believe that Jesus was a schizophrenic split personality dude walking around thinking he was God. True story. <laughs> Some people are just like, don't know, don't care. Jesus who? We know what the world thinks. But what's your answer? What's your answer? See, because Peter nails it. Peter nails it. He says, you are the Messiah. That's a much stronger word than just saying, you're Jesus of the Bible. The Messiah, remember what we said the Messiah has, glory and power and authority and a kingdom who has no end. But then he says, you are the son of the living God. And he says that so that Jesus wouldn't be compared to some idol or some little G God that the Romans worshipped or the Greeks worshipped or whatever it was. That he was the son of God who breathed the universe out of nothing, who breathed life into everybody on this earth, the people sitting here as well, so that Jesus wouldn't be confused with something that doesn't matter. He says, you, Jesus. To me, what I believe is that you are God, the Messiah. You, in my life, are the one who gets the glory. You, in my life, are the one who has authority. You, in my life, are the one who gets all the power. And you, 
are the one whose kingdom has no end, and I will worship you forever. That's what Peter's saying. In other words, what he's saying is, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. He says it without doubt, without hesitation, without shame, without stuttering. He's not like, um, hmm, let me go talk to my guys. I'll get back to you, Jesus. He didn't say that. He was all in, all in, 100%, completely sold out on who Jesus was in his life. It's not just about, is Jesus the guy that the Bible says he is? It's who is Jesus in your life? Who is Jesus to you? That's a personal question. Who do you say I am? And I wonder, would we have the same answer as Peter? Would we have the same answer as Peter? Because if we're not careful, we can spend our whole Christian life on what I would call the outer circle. Right? We like the salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not going to hell. And then we stop. And we stay there on the outer circle. We come to church on Sundays, we check that box. We listen to Bright FM on the radio, we check that box. We talk about Jesus. We read about Jesus. Many of us, I believe, have prayed a prayer of salvation saying, Jesus, I want you to take away my sins. And yet, we're still not in the place where Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to move from the outside, the outer circle, to the inside. That's what he wants. This is what Jesus wants for all of us, to move from the outer circle, just knowledge about Jesus, maybe having prayed the sinner's prayer, maybe getting that salvation. He wants us to move from that place to a deep place of inner connection and relationship with Jesus. He wants us to move it from our head to our heart. Because when we give Jesus the authority and the glory and the power in our lives, we can't not we, we can't unchange that. We give it to him. We hand it over to him. We can't be almost there searching for more signs, right? Because a lot of us do that. We're like, I prayed the prayer. I'm safe on that. But I still need a little bit more. I still need you to show me a little bit more, Jesus, because the last time I had a problem, you know, I wasn't quite sure you were there. So I'm not quite sure that I'm all in, all in. I'm not quite sure about that. Jesus questioned to us when he says, who do you say I am? Is a question of our faith. Faith is believing without seeing. Faith puts Jesus in a place of power and authority and glory, even when we have doubt, even when we're not quite sure of everything else that's going on. Is he Savior and Lord in your life? Does he get all the glory for everything that happens? Does he have all the authority? That's the big one, right? Because we don't like to give up our control. And I can tell you, I know how control freaks operate. Does he have that power? Are, are all your decisions filtered through the Jesus lens? You know, what would Jesus do? That was a big thing back in the 70s. We should be still asking that same question today. Does he have the power in your life? Do you believe that in every circumstance, in every storm, Jesus is with you and in just one breath he could calm it? He can get you through. 
We talked about this at length in the last series, that we look back and we see what Jesus has done, and we can have that confidence that he can do it again. Are you doing life on his terms or yours? Are we on the outer circle or the inner circle? Because there's a big difference. When I was a young kid playing piano, I started playing piano at the age of 12. And from the very first day I laid a finger on a piano key, I loved, 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 loved playing the piano. I did. I loved getting down. I loved, you know, playing music. I loved writing music. I loved making up chord progressions, which you really can't make up chord progressions because there's nothing new under the sun. But I loved all that stuff. I loved playing. I loved it. But I hated the commitment. I hated practicing. I hated putting in the work. I hated all the technical exercises. I hated all the scales. I hated all the three hours of da-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na. Any piano players in the house know exactly what I'm talking about just by humming that tune, right? You all know it. I hated it. And so I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And I believe I missed out on a lot in my life from a musical perspective. Because what happened is I became a really good player. But for all I know, I could have been a virtuoso. I could have been a soloist with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. I could have done any number of things. My career could have been all revolving around music had I made that commitment. And look, if we stay on the outside, you're going to miss out on what Jesus has for your life. He might have a virtuoso life plan for you, but if we stay on the outside, we'll miss it. Because when we move him from our head to our heart, something happens. Something happens. Jesus tells us that when you make that commitment, when you proclaim me Lord of your life, I will give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, if we make that commitment, if we're all in, all in for Jesus, the Holy Spirit will start working in us. And sometimes that's a little scary, right? But the Holy Spirit will start working in us. And the Holy Spirit will start showing us all these things. Well, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. And maybe you shouldn't be doing that. And maybe you should be doing this. And you should open up that Bible. And then when you can't understand it, the Holy Spirit will be like, here's what that means. Just pray about it. Pray about it. And you'll start walking closer to Jesus. And you'll start acting different. And you'll start being different. What happens is when we go all in, we change. We become a different person. And I want, to under, I want us to understand this today. This is absolute 100% truth. If you can write anything down, write this down. We can't discover who we are until we decide who Jesus is. We can't. We can't discover the people we were designed to be until we decide with our heart who Jesus is. Who is he to us? Because each of us has a divine design. Each of us has a design that, that is coupled is inseparably with a life following Jesus. A perfect plan. Ultimate purpose. We all want purpose. I hear this from everybody. I just don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel like I have no purpose. My life doesn't seem like it has any direction. But you do have purpose. God's already got it written out for you. He wrote it out a long time ago, a long time ago, before you were ever born. We have purpose. We have design. We have a plan made for us in God's life. And God doesn't want you to miss out on his design for your life.
But we can't get there unless we're all in. Just like Peter. You are the Messiah. My Lord and Savior. What does that life look like? I'm glad you asked. Because Peter, in his letter to the Galatians, gives us just a glimpse of what we can expect by following Jesus in that way, by making that heart commitment that he gets all the authority and all the power and all the glory, and we will pursue him to no end. It says this, but the Holy Spirit in us produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think I kind of want some of that in my life. I think I kind of want all of that in my life. How about you? I mean, come on, right? Who, who wouldn't want that? I hear from people all the time. I've been following Jesus a long time, and I don't feel any different. And you know me, I'm kind of blunt. I'm like, whose fault is that? It's not Jesus' fault. Are you all in? Have you made that commitment? Have you made him not just the Savior? Have you made him not just the, the fail-safe for when your life that you're living on your own terms comes to an end and you've got a good place to go? But have you made him Lord of your life? That's a, that word means something, to make him the Lord of your life. How would your life be different if it looked like Paul says, if it was filled with the fruit of the Spirit, how different would your life be? Think about that. Think about it. When people come at you, and they will, when the world comes at you, and it will, what would it look like to be able to respond with love in every situation? When the wheels fall off, right? When you're in one of those little red wagons going down the hill. My friends used to do that. That's what we used to do. Take one of them wagons where you can't really steer because if you steer too much, you're going to fall off. And we used to get to the biggest hill we would get at, and we would just hold on to that thing, and they'd push us down. When you're in that wagon, and you could see the, the fence coming at the end, and the wheels are falling off, what would it look like to have joy regardless of the situation? When your child is out of control, when they battled addiction for 15 years. When you don't understand why your wife was diagnosed with terminal cancer. When you can't understand why people out there in this world are just so mean, but yet you have in your heart and in your soul a peace that you can't even explain. When people get on your last nerve. Anybody ever had that happen? Oh, yeah. And you can just be patient. You can put your hand down, Scotty. <laughs> it only counts once, no matter how many hands you put up. And how about instead of being like the Grinch to all your family? How about instead of always being the guy who's in a bad mood, you now have more kindness in your heart? How about when you see the world hurting and instead of just passing by saying, well, if I give money, they're just going to go out and drink. How about if you see the world hurting, if you see where there's a need, you are filled with goodness that propels you, makes you get up and do something about that. What would your life look like if that happened? Instead of being harsh, instead of being like the world, conditioned to just shut down and, and be harsh at everything, what if there were a gentle spirit? What about when you're tempted? We all are tempted. 
We all have our own favorite ones. They come at us all the time. And the Holy Spirit has given you the spirit of self-control. How would your life be different then? What about when the doubts come in? And there will be doubts. There will be times following Jesus closely like this that you will not understand why something is happening. There will be times when you see hurt that can't be fixed in this human world, in this physical world we live in. And it's easy to fall away. It's easy to let our faith drop. But what about if that faith was just so strong that nothing mattered? You could be underwater and it wouldn't matter. How different would your life be if it looked like that? See, because that kind of life is possible. And that is exactly the life that Jesus wants for you. When he says, I came so that you could have life and have it abundantly to the full. If I were going to paint a picture of that, it would be that. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's possible. You want to know how? Go all in. Go all in. Who do you say he is? Is he just the guy who's getting you into heaven or is he the guy who has authority is he the guy who has glory is he the guy who has the power is he the guy you will worship with every fiber of your being is that who jesus is to you is it is that who jesus is to you if you're on the outside looking in make the choice go all in stop stop holding back if you are if you are just keeping jesus in your back pocket we like to do that right for when the bad times happen all the rest of the time we just live our life on our own the world we're out there we're doing all the crazy stuff that the world does go all in it might hurt a little bit at first but that's okay if you're just glad you're going to heaven and you're not worried too much about the rest of the stuff go all in if you're not quite sure go all in if you got doubts go all in if you're too busy go all in if you're too scared go all in If you're waiting for another sign, let me tell you what, they've already been given to us. Every sign we ever need is right here in God's word. Go all in. Don't hold anything back. Who do you say he is? Who is Jesus to you? Are you all in? Is he not just Savior, but the Lord of your life? Have you given him the authority? Have you given him the power? Do you give him all the glory in your life? Are you all in? Because we can't discover who we are until we decide who Jesus is. And while most of this was talking to people who have at least some relationship with Jesus, it's also talking to people who have never made that commitment to follow him as the Lord of their life. Because this world promises so much. And for a while, it seems fun. For a while, it's like, you know, freedom. I think we got the wrong idea of freedom. Because freedom only exists when there are boundaries, right? I mean, think about it. You take a fish. Fish is free to swim in that fish tank all day long. He's free, right? (laughs) But you take him out of the fish tank, what's going to happen? He's not free anymore. 
he's going to die. And so it's scary. It's scary to put Jesus in charge of your life. I get it. I get it. I've lived that life for a long time. It's scary to make that commitment and say, I want you to have authority, and I want you to have the power, and I want to give you all the glory, but I'm telling you what, it is so worth it. Not just to go to heaven, not just because our sins are wiped clean once and for all, but because we get to experience a life that God has planned for us. Look, no matter what you plan for your life, God's plan is better, and it will always be better. So if you came in today or you're watching today or you're going to watch in three weeks or whatever it is, I'm talking to everybody, and you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus in that way, I'm going to give you that opportunity today. And I just ask, why, why would you hold back? Just do it. Just let go. Go all in. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, we'll pray together. Jesus, I believe you are the Savior and Lord of the world. Jesus, I believe you died on a cross as payment for my sin. Jesus, I believe you rose on the third day so that I could be rejoined with God the Father in relationship the way it was designed. Jesus, I surrender my life. I surrender my will. I surrender my way. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to have authority and power. And I want you to get the glory forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, It's so easy to stay on that outer circle. So easy for us to become Christians by name only. Followers by name only. But that's not what you want. It's never what you wanted. Your word says that In order to have a life, we have to give up a life. So help us to do that. To be all in, all in with nothing left back, nothing left on the table, with no doubts, no fears, everything, all in for you, all day, every day, 24-7, 365 days a year, we are all in. We give you all the authority. We give you all the power. We give you all the glory in our lives, Jesus. We believe you are the Messiah, the one who came fully God and fully human to save the world from their sin, to die on a cross, to become our sin, to be separated from you just for that split second so that he could pay the price for our sin to rise three days later rejoining us to you we believe that is who jesus is in our life help us never to let that go help us to always be all in thank you god finally we just ask that you keep us all healthy and safe until we meet again Before we go, we want to give you the glory for anybody who has made a decision today. So with all heads 
bowed still and all eyes closed. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, if you could just slip up your hand just quickly and slip it back down again. Thank you. We want to pray for you. We give you the glory for that, God. That's not us. That's not my words. That's you, your Holy Spirit, pulling people towards you. We love you so much. And we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And together as a church, we'll say amen. If you're at home, type amen. Listen, if you did make a decision today, we would love to know about it. You can note it on one of the cards. There's a link on the screen. You can fill it out there, too. Uh, You can just come up to me. We want to pray for you. We want to get you connected with a Bible-believing church that can help you 